Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago. And in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. Montana, welcome back. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. Hope you're having an outstanding Tuesday. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. I was running all over the place today, getting all sorts of interviews lined up for the rest of the week. I went to and from University of Montana campus three different times, but such as it is when it's busy season, basketball season, everybody's running around, every game on earth is getting rescheduled. It's hard to keep it all straight, but uh, we love bringing you all the best when it comes to Sports across the Treasure State each and every weekday. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, you can always find it on the Nuanas Now podcast, which is proudly presented by The Advocates as well as Sports Bet Montana. We talked about Big Sky Conference hoops in segment number one, including Montana State's 73-59 victory over the Lady Grizz last night. Seven in a row for the Bobcats in the rivalry game. Ten out of the last 11, 12 out of the last 14. Don't think anybody saw that coming about 10 years ago when Robin Selvig owned the Bobcats and owned pretty much everybody else in the conference and in the region. We also heard from Trisha Binford, MSU women's head coach, as well as Riley Corcoran, the voice of the Grizz, and our good friend Justin Angle swung by to talk Olympics and branding. We're going to talk some NFL playoffs when it comes to the business angle later on this week. Split that segment up into two this week because it was 
a compelling conversation. And then we also heard from our mattress firm student of the week, Forrest Suaro. He's a senior at Helena High, an outstanding football player who's going to Carroll College. All that on the Nuanas Now podcast. We are broadcasting to you live from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Northwest Motorsport is having their anniversary sale right now. They have huge discounts on their lot, and you can always check out the largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest by visiting nwmsrocks.com. Very special guest today. It's fun how this always works out. Jim O'Day joins me, longtime athletic director of the University of Montana. But more importantly, a good friend of mine, a guy who has uh, been very influential in teaching me the ropes in terms of journalism and the sporting world. But it's funny how this always goes, Jim. You, you and I talk quite a bit, and uh, whenever we start to get into these text conversations where the texts start getting longer and longer, I always say, hey, let's just do it on the radio. Let's just have the talk on the radio. But a lot of stuff going on. But first of all, thanks for being here, man. How you doing? Always fun to get back and, and see what all you got going in here because uh, I know a lot of people like to listen and, and get caught up a little bit on what's going on across the state of Montana. So, well, Coulter, always appreciate it. Well, I got to tell you this. First and foremost, one of the main uh, – Montana's all, all, all about connections. And that's what we love about Montana, right, is uh, it is this one kind of big neighborhood in this giant but non-populous state but to, you helped connect me with Marty Morningweg, and that's been so fun, man. He's been coming in here every Monday and just ripping it up, talking the NFL. But, I mean, what a thrill for me because Marty's a great guy, and we become good friends. But to have a guy on Missoula Talk Radio, Montana Statewide Talk Radio, that tells authentic stories about Brett Favre and Jerry Rice and, and Steve Young, sometimes I'm just like, this is crazy, man. This is like as good of an NFL insider as you could get. So thanks for that. Marty's just so awesome, man. You know, he's on my list, though. When I talked to him the other day, he <laughs> guaranteed me that the Packers would beat the 49ers. Oh. And I said, uh, I think it's going to be tough. He says, oh, don't worry about it. Well, Marty, I'll see you uh, Thursday. Yeah, that's right. I know, I know he was a little bit torn over that one, too, because yep. uh, two of the, the great stops in his mm-hmm. illustrious career was in San Fran and and uh, Green Bay. So it was fun talking to him about all the great action in the NFL uh, over the weekend. Before we get into some of these broad conversations about college athletics in general, specifically here in the state of Montana and the Big Sky Conference, I, I just said the news brief, and it is sort of crazy to watch the way that things evolve and the way that history sort of unveils itself as it continues to march on. There's a moment in time where it was an afterthought that Montana would beat Montana State at women's basketball because Robin Selvig was just so unbelievably good. I mean, I believe that he won... 77 of his first 90 games against the Bobcats. And uh, so now, Trisha Bitford, she sort of has taken over that Selvig-like role. She's in year 17 at Montana State. She's really been doing a great job there. I mean, they're gunning for their fourth title in six years, and they beat the Lady Grizz seven times in a row. It's just crazy the way that the tables sometimes turn, especially if you're around this stuff for a long time. Well, Trish, you know, she's a very good coach. Great Number coach. one, uh, she was also a very good player at Boise State. I remember watching her play, and... and uh, you know, her intensity and the way that, that she handles everything. She's done a great job over there. Uh, a, a wonderful person. You know, a wonderful. I know she does very well with her kids. They played very well last night. I mean, they were hot as could be. Hot as could I be. Mean, the way you're hitting the threes, the way they were. But, you know, Montana will be fine. You know, Brian is, I think, going to be a fantastic coach here. I think we're very fortunate to get somebody like him uh, to be able to run the Lady Grizz program. But, you know, Robin was unique. Uh, just to and, and you can unique in so many ways. I mean, as sure. an administrator, they didn't get any better. Right? right. Robin was somebody who, if you needed something done, he would do it. He'd go wherever. Uh, the best team player for everybody in athletics. And you know, when you'd see some of the coaches uh, from the men's teams and the women's teams always in Robin's office trying to get some ideas on different things. 
you don't always see that. And they all have such great respect for Robin. We've done a variety of podcast series. Jim's been involved in a couple of them. But the, the one podcast series that has just resonated with me so much was the first season of our Grizz Greats, The Coaching Tree, where we chronicled Judd Heathcote's epic coaching tree that stems all the way through all of the great men's basketball coaches at Montana. But I thought that the most intriguing and interesting episode was actually with Coach Selvig because he was at Montana for 38 years and basically had the office across the hall from whomever that guy was, the head coach for Montana. And he got to be great friends with guys like Stu Morrill and Blaine Taylor and uh, Mike Montgomery. And uh, But just his perspective was so great. So you know, I, sometimes I wonder, because we analyze the Lady Grizz under such a, a bright spotlight because it is one of the prominent programs, not only in the state, but for women's basketball in the country for sure. And uh, I, I always wonder, though, I mean, it's almost impossible to replace somebody like Robin Selvig. So I always, I often wonder if we scrutinize Lady Grizz too hard under the shadow that he sort of casts. Because I don't really know. That's sort of a moment in time. I don't know if the, the, the success is replicable. I do think Brian Holsinger is a good coach. I think he has great vision. I do think Lady Grizz, last night's result aside, are much improved from what yeah. they have been. But sometimes this is the shadow that is cast by the giant that's like the, the the legend of Robin Selvig. Sometimes that overwhelms everything else that has to do with the Lady Grizz. Oh, we saw that in men's basketball with John Wooden. Totally. You know, I mean, I don't think, no matter how successful UCLA has been, everybody is still compared to John Wooden. And John Wooden hasn't been the coach there since 1975. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that... Uh, I mean, Jim Herrick won a national championship there, and he was still almost always uh, scrutinized. Yep. It's unbelievable. And when you think of UCLA, you still think of John Wooden. That's right. You know, uh, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And uh, and Robin was that way too. He was just you know, he, one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. Oh, hilarious! I mean, you may not see that, but unless you watched him on the court, I'll never forget some of the things. And he'd grab his glasses and he'd throw them off and he'd start yelling at kids and. They all knew he didn't know what he was, who he was yelling at, what he did. They didn't. He would yell at somebody out on the field or out on the court, and that person actually was sitting right beside him. But he thought he was, uh, he, she was out on the court. So they would just kind of laugh a little bit, and uh, his driving skills or something else too. <laughs> well, he does drive to and from Outlook frequently, and that's uh, that's no short drive. One as a guy from Cup Bank, as Jim O'Day is understands it's uh sometimes you need that wide open sky though to clear your mind you want us now espn radio as well as swx montana television hope you're having a great day jim o'day longtime administrator and athletic director of the university of montana joining us in studio let's dive into it some football talk all football all the time presented by sports bet montana no matter where you're at in montana there's a sports bet kiosk near you they have a whole archive of all the places they have i was in white silver springs over the weekend i was even able to place a bet there that's only like a 900 person town so i promise you, you can find one of those kiosks help keep you involved in the games very fun way to go about watching and uh, consuming sports jim i was down in frisco texas for the fcs national championship game and uh, aside from the the lopsided result and very unthrilling nature of the actual contest between north dakota state and montana state i came back with a variety of complaints most of those stem though from uh, NCAA procedures that are specific to the pandemic. So we don't need to go back and rehash all those. I was sort of frustrated with the way they split up the press box and the bottom press box was in a bar. It was very loud. There was nowhere to use the bathroom, all these things. That's here nor there. The thing I want to talk about with you, though, is you were a part of the University of Montana when the championship game was first in Huntington, West Virginia, and then in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You were still involved in college athletics when they moved the game to Fresco, and I, th- I think there's a lot of logistics that go into that. It's been pretty seamless in Frisco for the 10 years it's been there. Part of that's, though, because 
North Dakota State has been in the championship game every year, so they sell the place out basically for themselves. Mm -hmm. Some of those logistics were sort of challenged with thousands of Montana people going down there to watch the Bobcats, but that had never been a scenario before where there was a whole other fan base besides NDSU people there. But there's been all sorts of complaints and speculation and all this about Frisco has run his course. It's stale. They need to move the game. Soccer stadium, natural grass, you know, it's not applicable to college football, plus just the rinse and repeat of North Dakota State. I mean, I think they bought like 14,000 tickets mm-hmm. the day they went on sale, which was months before they even qualified. But that said, there's so much that goes into this. When it comes to bidding for these sorts of things, I mean, how does that process work? How, how does the process work in terms of the FCS championship and where they host the game? You know, interesting. I was on the selection committee for the NCAA when we went down there. In fact, myself, uh, Charlie Cobb, who was at Appalachian State at the time, sure. uh, Jeff Bourne, uh, who is currently still at James, James Madison, Madison yep. the three of us went down there. We did the site visit for the NCAA. Uh, we were there for a couple of days. They showed us everything. Uh, personally, as somebody who had been in Huntington and in, in Chattanooga, and I thought that they did a, a great job in both of those two places. But the, the, the selection committee that they had, the committee they had put together for Frisco just blew us away. Now, you know, a lot of people think that that championship can go anywhere, Orlando, Vegas. you got to realize those places aren't interested in, in a fifteen to 20,000-seat championship. Well, and that's exactly right. It's worth remembering that like, North Dakota State has one of the best fan bases in the FCS. Mm-hmm. Yet the Fargo Dome, it's a great venue, but it still only holds about 18,500 people. Correct. Montana State, one of the most popular teams in the FCS, even when they sell standing room only, that's still less than a 20,000-seat stadium. So you talk about the most passionate of those fan bases. I mean, I was blown away with how many Montana State people went down there, and it's still the Alumni Association estimated about 5,500 people at their tailgate. That's a a huge amount, but still, like you're saying, you really only have maybe 15,000, 20,000 people total going down there and so it's not as if it's this crazy draw where maybe Wisconsin qualifies for the Frisco Bowl and you're going to have tens of thousands of people it's just not as big of a draw as many people want to believe it might be well and even even when you look at the FBS and you look at the bowls and people say well there's nobody there that is not where they're drawing their money they're bringing their money in from television all the corporate pieces are there. So the, the number of people that go to a bowl game, I mean, Frisco holds two bowl games right now. Right. My concern today would be, is Frisco going to continue once this contract is done? I think it's got maybe two more years, two or three more years. Once they're done, are they going to say enough is enough? Um, the, you got to remember now that Stephen F. Austin and, Jane, or and, and Sam Houston and uh, Texas Av- Avalanche Christian and those guys have all moved on to the WAC. They're no longer in the Southland Conference. And so the Southland Conference has its conference headquarters in the Frisco area. And uh, their commissioner uh, just retired. He worked endlessly to get that game there. And I would wonder if that's going to happen. And, you know, realistically, when people say Vegas, Vegas is not going to put on that kind of effort. They're not going to work that hard to get that championship, even though it would be convenient to us. You've got about 75% of the teams in FCS on the east on the east side of the country. And they're going to look out for the east side of the country. You might be able to get into Chattanooga again. You might be able to get into some of those little places. But there, when, when we move the championship to Chattanooga, three people bid on it. Right. I mean, to, to Frisco. It was Chattanooga, it was Frisco, and it was the University of Montana. And right away, they told us, uh, and we put a great bid together at the University of Montana, 
and they just said, it's too cold. Montana's too cold. But it was interesting because when we did the site visit in Frisco in January, uh, I believe it was 2010, just 2010, the temperature was about 15 above and the chill factor was about zero. Right. And it was cold and it was a lot warmer in Missoula, Montana. But still, the, the, the people are thinking Montana and they're thinking it's going to be way too cold. Don't know if they have the amenities. Can they get the flights in here? Is it going to be trouble getting teams in here? Whereas in Frisco, you had Dallas-Fort Worth Airport right there. People could get in. People in the North Dakota, you don't know why they're at. I mean, they can drive. A lot of them do drive. And so it's been a very favorable location for a lot of those teams. It is easy to forget, too, that you can bid on it if, if you are an FCS school, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when Montana won the 1995 National Championship over Marshall, that was at Marshall's home field. That's one of the, the, the biggest feathers in the cap to that team. They were playing in a 30,000-seat venue where... I don't know. Well, you were there. A couple thousand Grizz fans and everybody else is rooting for Marshall. So it can be at a home field. Well, and, and, and you kind of look at it. And I know, again, on the committee, and I remember at times uh, thinking, uh, just like everybody else, that we had 10,000 people at Marshall. And we had 10,000 people in Chattanooga every year. If you look at the tickets, Montana probably never sold over 3,000 tickets. Right. And maybe another 1,000 that got picked up somewhere. So we probably never had more than 4,000 fans. But you got to remember the difference between now and then. We played the next week, and trying to get to Chattanooga or Huntington was not very easy with one week notice. Now you have three weeks. You got three weeks to plan, you got three weeks to find tickets, lodging, things like that. So for Montana State to get 5,500 fans is pretty amazing. It is. But we're probably not going to bring 14,000 fans in like North Dakota. I mean, it's just a different situation. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, Jim O'Day here in studio, Nuana's now ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. And quite honestly, the the bid in Frisco and, and the success of the FCS championship game in Frisco is almost completely tied to North Dakota State's dominance. If I can't really imagine what it would be like. I've been to three of these now, one involving a Montana school, other ones involving non-Montana schools. Like when Eastern was there a couple of years ago, I mean, there's a couple Eastern people there, but not really. I mean, it was an NDSU home game just in Frisco. That's it. NDSU tailgates, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, the FCS is sort of... Lucky's the wrong word, but fortunate that it, that NDSU sort of carried the well, flag there, because there, there is no doubt that they want somebody. I mean, the first year we had it, it was Eastern Washington against Delaware, right? And there were probably they said eleven thousand uh, between Eastern Washington and Delaware. The between the two of them, they didn't sell five thousand total tickets. Wow! So people in the Frisco area had to buy them up. That's right. how they did it. Right. Even even the year, uh, the next year, when North Dakota State went to start and they beat Sam Houston, Sam Houston didn't sell but 1,300 tickets. Right. So somebody that's that close, it just doesn't mean enough to them. So if you don't have the Dakotas or the Montanas, James Madison, the year that they went, they probably had 2,500 tickets sold. So if you don't have the Dakotas, not very many towns want to put in that kind of energy and put those resources together to put that championship on. It's just not that easy. It's definitely not that easy. So do you feel like it's still a good fit there in Frisco? I, I don't know. I don't know what I think of it. Cause I, I think that, I think that the, the, the scenario there is good. Mm-hmm. Like if you've ever been to Frisco, it's cool. Like mm-hmm. where the stadium's at, it's, it's, very accessible. There's hotels and restaurants and bars all around. All brand new. All brand new. You don't need any sort of uh, transportation, really. I mean, you can just take a, an Uber or walk everywhere, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all right there. That said, though, and part of this is completely out of the venue and the host city's control. 
it does seem sort of still because North Coast State's been there so often. Everybody knows mm-hmm. how to travel. Like, when you're checking in and out of your hotel, you see the NDSU people, they have the same block rooms they had for the last 10 years. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. It seems like an unfair advantage, but I don't really know if the host city has anything to do with that. Nope, they really don't. They At the end of August, they put the thousand, they put 10,000 tickets out for sale to anybody. Right. And the North Dakota State people buy them all because they feel that confident they're going to go. Then you get, I think it's 4,000 for each of the two teams that get in it. So there's their 14,000, and then there's 2,000. I mean, this year's game, when everybody was complaining, it still only sold 18,000 tickets. Right. Uh, you got to remember, it, it, the only time that it came close was when James Madison played uh, North Dakota State that one year, and I think it hit about 19 or 20,000, sure. but it's never been bigger than that other than when it was in Marshall. Right. When it was in Marshall, it had like 32,000, 31,000 people. Right. But it was their home game. They were moving up. Uh, they had a lot of people in the second year. Of course, they had Randy Moss. Sure. And so they really wanted to go out with a bang. And but but since they've left uh, Huntington, it hasn't been anywhere. It's been at least a drop of uh, ten to fifteen thousand fans. I think so much of the complaining from Montana people though came like you were saying that North Coast State they bought up so many of the tickets. So then when MSU people were trying to buy tickets, they were looking for them almost exclusively on the secondary market, mm-hmm. and getting price gouged because they'd already the market was being reallotted because of. Uh, supply and demand and all that sort of stuff. Kind of like a Grizz Cat game. Totally, it, right? It's it very, very similar to a Grizz Cat game. And then if you just wait a little bit, all of a sudden, there were, uh, I was getting calls from all kinds of people saying, hey, these people can't make it. We bought too many tickets. Do you know anybody that needs them? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not in that market. But that's why they had 18,000 in a 21,000-seat stadium. Jimbo Day in studio with me, Coulter Nuanas, talking all things college football. The FCS is a evolving subdivision. It always has been. But I'm interested in what the future might hold. I know Montana and Montana State both are as well, but things are moving pretty rapidly, especially with a couple flagship programs on their way out. We'll talk about all the ins and outs of maybe what it takes to move up or lack thereof and what the future of this subdivision is as just a few of the flagship programs are left standing. Keep it right here. It's Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. ESPN Missoula Montana State continued its recent domination of the Lady Grizz on Monday night in Bozeman. Hello, I am Coulter Nuanez. The Montana State women's basketball team used an 11-point spurt that bridged the end of the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter to push a two-possession game to a 21-point advantage with three minutes left at Brick Breeden Fieldhouse. From there, the host Bobcats cruised to a 73-59 win over Montana in the first rivalry game of the season in a contest originally scheduled to be played at the Brick on January 9th. MSU sophomore Taylor Jansen buried three of her four three-point during the decisive run and scored a team-best 14 points as Montana State won its fourth home game in the span of seven days. The victory is also MSU's seventh straight over rival Montana. The Bobcats have won nine of the last 10 and 12 of the last 14, a turning of the tide after the Lady Grizz won 77 of the first 101 matchups between two Big Sky Conference foes. MSU point guard Darian White scored 13 points and dished out five assists while helping hold her UM counterpart Sophia Stiles to 0 of 9 shooting and just four points with four turnovers. Sammy Fackett led Montana with a career-high 24 points. Montana was supposed to play at Idaho Thursday, but that game plus MSU's scheduled game in Moscow Saturday have both been postponed due to COVID-19 issues in the Idaho program. MSU will play at Eastern Washington on Thursday, and the Lady Grizz will play in Cheney on Saturday. This ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Selway Armory.
Hey, Montana, what's going on? Thanks so much for tuning in. Nuana's Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuana's. We're coming to you from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Northwest Motorsport, new to Missoula and new to Montana. You can find them here in the Garden City, the corner of Stevenson Mount. They also boast the largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. You can check that out online at nwmsrocks.com. Check out their huge inventory and huge discounts now as Northwest Motorsport is celebrating their anniversary. Jim O'Day, longtime college athletics administrator in studio with me, talking all the way around the wide world of college sports, specifically college football. And Jim, let's talk a little bit about the subdivision as it is right now. The FCS, um, to me, I mean, it's not even to me. This isn't an opinion. This is an objective fact. It's becoming dissipated because of teams leaving. We've seen a lot of movement. It's nothing new. It's not a new phenomenon. This has been going on since the early 90s when the Big Sky Conference and some of its charter members like Nevada, Idaho, Boise State all moved up. But it seems to kind of go in waves. And I know you were the athletic director at Montana when one of the waves was sort of brewing and the WAC still had football. The Mountain West wasn't nearly the powerhouse it has become, at least regionally. And I know that there's a lot of scuttle and decisions and opportunities maybe for Montana to at least analyze moving up Montana and Montana State. It didn't happen. I think at that time that's probably a good thing. But now here we are in the subdivision, and you look around, and Youngstown State's nowhere near what it once was. Appalachian State playing the FBS. Georgia Southern playing the FBS. Uh, Coastal Carolina playing the FBS. Old Dominion playing the FBS. Now the latest two, two of the other Blue Bloods moving up, James Madison and Sam Houston State. So before we get into sort of, sort of the uh, the future of all this, I've always tried to reemphasize, but I think you could probably explain this even a little better than I could, that like I heard after the Bobcats went down to Sam Houston and, and cleaned the clock of the number one team in the country, I was down there. There was 7,000 people at the, sta- at the stadium. The Montana State faithful started a... Go Cats, go chant. Mm-hmm. Sam Houston State's the Bearcats. Their fans were so disconnected that they thought it was their fan base cheering, so they're doing the Go Cats, go thing too. Mm-hmm. So that's here nor there, though. I heard from so many people, though. Sam Houston's moving up? Well, they just got whipped on in the playoffs, and they don't have any fans, but that's not what it is about anymore, and that's the thing I think eludes people. Making your primary source of revenue by selling out your huge stadium like Montana and Montana State That's actually atypical for the FCS, right? Mm -hmm. And so Sam Houston, they're moving up because getting whipped on national TV is actually worth way more money than it is to dominate and win a national championship at the FCS level, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think you hit hit it right on the nail on the head is it's all about money. Whether we want to believe it or not or want to say that that's the case, it certainly is. Um, When when you look at, for example, uh, Montana – probably brings in a little over $5 million in ticket sales. That's a lot of money. Right. Montana State is probably next best in the FCS, and they're probably bringing in not even three, maybe three. So it's not quite – it's a little over maybe 60%, which is amazing. But you can go to a place like Weber State, and they might bring in 800000 total in a year. So they're not relying so much. Sam Houston, they're not setting their budgets based on that. Institutions are having to put in more money. They're having to find other ways to, to get more money or cut expenses. Uh, flying into Montana is not cheap. So when you do recruiting, it's more expensive in Montana than it is if you're at UC Davis. Totally. Uh, they can find people by driving around uh, the state of California. We see this with, in basketball right now, too, because 
with all these COVID protocols and the postponements and then potential cancellations, from a financial perspective, from a pure yeah. athletic department sta- standpoint, I read a study the other day. Most of the Big Sky basketball programs in the league, men's and women's, make $90,000 or less in ticket revenue per year. Montana, Montana State is making 10 times that much. Yeah. So it's way less detrimental for a game at Northern Arizona or Portland State or Southern Utah to get called off or rescheduled than it is in Montana. I mean, that's sort of the thing. That's what Justin Angle and I were talking about on the business angle. It's a completely unique to the state of Montana to see a women's basketball rivalry get rescheduled on a Monday and have that be a gigantic downfall financially for the host university. That just doesn't really exist anywhere else in the country. Well, I think they had 2,400 last night right. for the women's game. And right. when, when uh, the men played a couple weeks ago on that Sunday night, I think they had 3,400. Yeah. Um, and that's half, what, that's half right. what you would expect, right? You usually so, would get 7,500 into either s- uh, spot. It's this weird irony I think people have a hard time understanding. It's unique. It's, it's better to not rely on fans to pay your bills that 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 sounds silly to people that are fierce fans and that Mm -hmm. the Grizz and Bobcat faithful are so great they are so much more substantial than other fan bases in the league but from a pure business perspective it is actually better financially to be Northern Arizona and average 250 fans per basketball game because you have 30,000 students that are paying your bills for you without ever attending a game. It's this weird irony. I think a lot of people have a hard time grasping it. Well, people say like James Madison. Right. James Madison has a student body of about 23,000. Yes. Their student athletic fee is about $2,200 a piece. They start the day with over $45 million. That's twice as much as Montana. Montana's budget is $21, $22 million. Right. So they start that without selling a ticket, without going out and raising any money, without anything, doing any uh, fundraising type things, uh, seat licenses or anything, playing any guarantee games. They're in such amazing shape. But you also have to look at... Uh, NAU finally has a student athletic fee. In the yep. past, they have gotten the same appropriation for athletics as Arizona and Arizona State. Right. So if they had that chunk of money, which they still do, now right. they have a student athletic fee, which is why they're able to build, I think they have, what, $25 million in improvements? That's right. That they're working on at Northern Arizona right now. Weber State, what do they have, 27,000 students? Sac State, if you have a student athletic fee and you can do that, everybody has a different way, but the budgets are pretty similar to what they are. So you've got to find new ways to create money. And, you know, that's the problem I see in, in FCS if you want to have a big-time Division One program. And by big-time, I mean what we've all been used to. You know, when you look at television, how, how important is that television piece? Big Sky. Big Sky schools in television uh, for football and basketball are, are each getting about $100,000 each. Right. Wyoming for the same product is getting four million dollars. That's right. I mean, Boise's San, getting eight million. San Jose State the other a uh, couple years ago, they have turned around a couple this last couple years here at San, San Jose State for football, but they went defeated. They lost to UC Davis. They went defeated. They still made that same. That's the thing is the revenue sharing. You can be Vanderbilt in the SEC or San Jose State in the Mountain West, and the money is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Big Sky Conference. The revenue sharing is such a it's such a lower percentage, and I think that that's it's hard for people to grasp that. It really is, and and television is the difference. I mean, there's a reason why Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC. They're going to go from media rights where they were getting right. sixty million to ninety million dollars, ninety million dollars, and we're getting a hundred thousand. Right, and we're stay in the same word division one. Yep. Um, those are the kind of thing uh, guarantee games. 
you can go play the University of Washington at our level and make 650. We can. Some of those other schools maybe right. not. But if you're if you're Wyoming and go do that, they'll pay you a million 650. When when Idaho, so a lot of times these these non conference contracts are signed up to what seven years out mm-hmm. sometimes. Idaho's last big <laughs> FBS game that they had hanging on was at Penn State after they had moved back down to the Big Sky. They got paid $2.1 million for that right. game. I mean, they lost 80-8, to eight, so yep. I don't know if it's worth it. But if you take that two, $2 million and right. you sell $2 million worth of tickets, you're almost at the same level Montana is and what they did. Exactly, right. That, that's what's crazy about the whole yeah. thing. It, it's a it, lot of challenges ahead, and, and that's not even throwing in the portal. It's not putting in the totally. NIL. Totally. It's not uh, cost of attendance and all of these other things that are new expenses. Jim O'Day joining us here in studio. Nuana's now ESPN Radio. So my, one question I've had lingering for a little while is that it is sort of hard to stomach that the most well-supported and most tradition-laden programs actually don't have an advantage over the ones that don't have those things, um, just in terms of uh, balancing the budget, so to speak, from a pure financial perspective. But what, what are the biggest hangups to maybe adding some of those revenue streams? Because Montana and Montana State have both been doing this the same way for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And but the fact that they've been successful and have great fans helps a lot. But why doesn't Montana and Montana State explore things like student athletic fees or, or seeking out more statewide money? What are the hurdles that exist in, in, in maybe funding yourselves from a different way than just your own revenue production? Well, the last time that we really raised student athletic fees yeah. uh, was when uh, we put in, we were making the study to, for Title IX to add women's softball. Right. We were able to get, it It was a two-year process of going to meetings once a month with the student body, trying to explain what we were trying to do. You know, Title IX doesn't mean a lot to everybody. Everyone thinks Title IX is a big athletic deal. It's more about your school. Sure. You're, I mean, if you get knocked down on Title IX, your athletic department's not taking a hit. Your school is losing uh, potential revenue for grants and research and and all these different things. It's not the athletic department, so they don't really understand it. So you have to, but you still have to be in compliance in athletics because it's a very visible way that Title IX can be abused. So we went there in 2010 and 11. We got our student athletic fee doubled. It was a, basically about $70, and then it went up to $144. they are very, very similar to that right now. Montana State had had it for a number of years at that level to keep again. But then it's based on you got to have students, and you've got to have full-time equivalent students. You've got to have a certain number of students who are going to pay that fee. And, you know, that's a tough sell on a lot of college campuses. Uh, probably a tough sell at the University of Montana. Like I said, it took us two years when we had 16,000 students and, you know, things were going. We had a pretty good economy here that we were working on and it was still, it was a battle. It was a battle and, and it's going to be unless, you know, somebody just says we're going to do it and is willing to take the hit. But that person maybe isn't going to have a job not too far down the road. The most romantic uh, reason to stay at the FCS level, and I like to believe in some of the romanticism of it, because it shouldn't all be about money. There should be about some sort of pride and communal event and winning and, and all that sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is now, though, we have very few blue bloods left at this level of college football. Montana, Montana State. North Dakota State, South Dakota State, their in-state peers in North Dakota and South Dakota are certainly 
giving chase, and they're, they're, they're more in the conversation than they have been in the past. Northern Iowa's probably somewhere in there a little bit, but th- the field has dissipated. So I'm just so interested to see the way that this affects branding, but also expectation as well. I mean, North Dakota State seems like the gap is so big. Yet, though, if there's not all these other teams like James Madison and Sam Houston and at all to sort of overcome – then does that change the expectation of Montana? Because it's already been Montana, Montana State. It's national championship robust, particularly for the Grizz. And uh, the less foes that you have, I think that the more accentuated those expectations need to be. You know, it's a, a dynamic. And you can talk to the people over in North Dakota State, and they'll tell you people are getting bored by the teams they're playing. Right. Uh, Their numbers are going down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they didn't sell out a playoff game until the semifinals. Yeah. Not even close. I mean, they, they were half full stadium in the in the quarters and, and second round. They're just, they're, they're bored. And, right. and I can understand that. I mean, they're, they're playing a lot of the same teams all the time. And they're playing three home playoff games every year for 10 years or whatever. Uh, it costs money. It costs money. And, and then people start to find other things that they can do. And, you know, if Montana's going in, I'll guarantee you it's going to be full. Right, but if you bring in Elon, sure. that nobody knows anything about, um, you're not going to have a, you're not going to have a full stadium, and uh, you know the NCAA needs some of those too because everyone says the NCAA has all this money, but you got to remember of the '88 or '89 championships, the men's basketball tournament pays for '88 of them, and football is really a different cat because the football championship is our level FCS. Because once you get to the others, the FBS level, they're controlled by the corporate bowls. Right. The college football playoff is totally away from the NCAA, yep. although the NCAA kind of gives you a blessing. I remember sitting in on NCAA meetings on the Football Issues Committee and we're talking about bowls and what, what are you going to tell them, no, they can't have a bowl? Um, it, it was it was kind of interesting, but you're seeing that that might break away here soon anyway. Yeah. In total, FBS football yep. moved totally away from the NCAA. Who, who's to say what's going to happen soon? Well, I do think that if the subdivision continues to get diluted, then that means the Montana Montana State better have exceptionally high expectations. Uh, but there are some weird scenarios that exist out there. But more than anything, I just think we need somebody else to sort of rise up. And uh, who could it be? I don't know. Maybe Idaho figures out a way to get back in the mix, be back amongst the best teams uh, at this subdivision. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But what is one of the biggest gaps between the Montana schools and the Dakota schools? It all has to do with facilities. Montana and Montana State are working on it, but there's more challenges than you might think. Jim O'Day here in studio will talk about what it might take to add indoor practice facilities. It's not as easy as you might think. Keep it right here. New on us now, ESPN Radio. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Up ahead in the distance, I saw a shimmering light. My head grew heavy and my sight grew dim. I had to stop for the night. There she stood in the doorway. I heard the mission back. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. Jim O'Day in studio with me, Coulter Nuanas. Only about seven minutes left here on your Tuesday, but I wanted to touch on one last thing. We're talking all the way around 
some of the challenges of college athletics and and uh, maybe some of the ins and outs that maybe the general public doesn't understand. So, Jim, the last thing is we talk about FCS football. North Dakota State has been so dominant over the last decade. So much of it comes from the tradition that they already had established from their Division II days and the great fan base that they already had established as well. But also so much of it has to do with all their facilities advantages. They have one of the nicest indoor practice facilities in the region, period, um, for where they're located. They're able to offer full cost of attendance, and um, it just helps them. The rich just get richer. When you just stay in Fargo for the duration of the playoffs, you get three extra weeks of playing, three extra weeks of practice, and it just sorts of forms on itself. Well, one of the schools that have done a great job of trying to keep pace with North Dakota State is South Dakota State. They've raised a tremendous amount of money. They opened a beautiful brand-new football stadium. They have a brand-new indoor practice facility as well. And you actually texted me an article a couple days ago about their overall fundraising efforts in general, $120-plus million on campus and $41 million uh, within the athletic department. So they're keeping up with the Joneses as well. But Montana, Montana State, I think that's the place if they want to close the gap. It starts there, right, with facilities and, and uh, those sorts of upgrades you can make on campus for the athletic department. Well, you've got to you've got to be you know the, 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 depending on what all happens, who knows what's all going to happen. I mean, Montana has had two opportunities. A lot of people don't know. In 2006, uh, we were offered to go to the Mountain West. President Denison at the time really wanted to do it. Montana State president didn't want to do it at the time, and you couldn't go. I mean, it was one of those situations. I don't know if that would exist today. That could be totally different today. Right. Uh, 2009, the WAC came to us. They wanted to do it. We did a study. In truth, the study said, you're in the wrong place. You should be at another level because you're not like these other people. That's right. And you are who you hang around with. That's right. And so, uh, but... There was really no reason to move it then. We still had a pretty good situation. We had a good subdivision. We did yep, still have yep. the App States and all those guys there. Uh, but every year it changes, and we're seeing that. And should North Dakota State and South Dakota State be someone that maybe the Mountain West would look at? Should Boise State and San Diego State move on? Um, now all of a sudden you start to say, okay, who, who do we have left? Who can we bring in that we can charge $70 a game? Who do we have that, you know, really brings respect to our campus. Because you got to remember, it's a real academic issue. Who do we fit in? What Carnegie level academically do we fit in? Who do we fit in with and who don't we fit in with? And that's where your changes are going to be. But, you know, then, but you also have politics. Sure. And politics are big. And politics on campus. I don't know how many times I hear, you know what, we're going to build either Montana or Montana State. We're going to build a new practice facility. Right. It's, the, buzz, it's it. the buzzword right now. Everybody's talking about is it going to be a bubble? Is it going to be a facility? Whatever. But everybody's saying that's what we need next. But it's a lot more complicated than just we getting do, the money, right? And, and and we do need it. Yep. But you've got to be able to convince a lot of people that uh, we're going to take away green space. And For green sure. space and a lot of college campuses is a lot. I remember we went down to Stanford when, when uh, Mike Montgomery was down there in development. He was their development sure, person. Sure. And he was showing us how they worked around green space by leaving... Uh, basically areas open within the concourse around where people were going to get into the stadium and they would call it open air space um you all campuses are different montana state they're a little different they have a lot of green space they have a lot of space montana is pretty confined um you're probably gonna have to have to look at something on an indoor facility i know they're talking about a bubble sure um they need something there's no doubt in my mind that they need to to come up with something and you know bubble could be it but to build a facility, where is it going to go? That's it's right. It's easy to say we're going to put it over there, but what does that mean? 
probably your best opportunity to put an indoor practice facility at the University of Montana to make make sense would be where the facility services is and the, and the law enforcement. Yep. But you got to remember, somebody has got to pay for them to move. And they could move across the river, but who's going to pay for all of their new buildings? Who's going to pay for the bridge to come across? And then you have to build your own facility you're probably talking 100 to 150 million dollars. I mean, when you talk about the University of Montana campus, one of the allures and one of the great parts about it is the fact that it is sort of a non-drivable, self-contained campus. That's mm-hmm. what makes it so beautiful and so awesome. But it also makes for a lot of limited open space. So it basically comes down to the raising the money for these things is is only the first challenge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much that goes into it after that because so many different people have to be involved. Well, you look at when we did the East Side expansion. Yep. To me, that should be a, a no-brainer. Right. We needed more. We At Washington Grizzly Stadium. Yep. We were going straight up. We had an 18-person committee, and they all got their two bits in. And what we had people that were complaining about the lack of, uh, of shade that were gonna, the trees were going to get on the backside. <laughs> and how, are, how, are, how is grass going to grow around? We spent, I, I mean, had Bill Boucher as the uh, university, I mean, the, 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 the town crier, basically, to kind of, yep. and I thought poor Bill was going to walk off. I mean, he, he, we sat there for months. I mean, I'm not talking days and weeks. We sat there for months in meetings about how we were going to do this and how we were going to end up cutting off pieces of campus and closing it for a while and how were people going to get around and where were they going to park. And uh, you, you, well, it, in our minds, in athletics, we said, oh, this is what we need. Right. 90% of the people on campus didn't care. And, and that's going to be the challenge. Including the students. That's right. And that's going to be the challenge uh, for a long time. Jim O'Day, thanks for being here, man. This was great having you here. Wealth of information. It. We will have you back soon because there's still more to hash out. This is going to continue to evolve. Thanks to all of you out there for listening to us here on Nuanas Now. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Back at it tomorrow. Star-studded guest list got Danny Sprinkle, Montana State men's basketball coach, Riley Corker, the voice of the Grizz. We're also efforting Quinn Wolferman, recent gold medal winner from the X Games from right here in Missoula, and a whole bunch more. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. If you missed anything in today's show, you can always find it. Nuanas Now podcast proudly presented by the Advocates as well as Sports Bet Montana. Have yourself a great evening. We'll see you back here at 4 p.m. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. Get Commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.